Hello everybody and welcome to the Let's All Talk Fertility podcast brought to you by The Fertility Show. For this podcast we're heading over to the Let's All Talk Fertility Lounge at The Fertility Show 2023. The show brought together some fantastic people from across the world of fertility. On our Let's All Talk Fertility stage this year some fabulous people shared their own fertility experiences while also giving help and advice to those who needed it. Before we head over to the stage, I just want to take a moment to talk about Randox Health. They've formed a range of female health and fertility blood tests designed for women at every stage of life. A great one that many of you may need to hear about now is their fertility health package. The bloods for this measure over 45 data points, which will go a long way to helping you understand your hormones and ovarian reserve better. Then there's the standalone female hormone health test, which will help you find out if a hormone imbalance could be affecting your mood, weight or energy levels. They've also got a test for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which will give you some answers so then you can get treatment. Then moving into their general tests, their menopause or every woman full body health test ranges from hormonal health to heart health to digestive health and much more besides. All these tests help a woman learn so much more about their bodies so they can act quicker. And as I always say, knowledge is power, people. So if you'd like to try out one of these female health tests, head over to Randox Health now and enter the code EVERYWOMAN at checkout to get you 10% off any test you need. But for now, back to the podcast. And for this episode, we shall be hearing from a fantastic panel of IVF warriors, Alice Rose, Amber Itso and Tia Brown. These women have lived through the brutality of infertility, been down the road of fertility treatment in various forms, and now they have their families. Be that it looks a little different to the family they perhaps first envisaged, but they're now working hard in the world of fertility through social media, campaign work or business and are passionate about being there for others who are navigating a similar experience to them now. Let's head over to hear them. Let's go down the line, ladies, please. And obviously we're not going to dissect every part of your journey, but if you could give us a potted history, Alice, about what what your experience is in this field and why you're here today. Hi everyone, it's a real pleasure to be here, so thanks for joining us. Um, my name's Alice Rose and I'm now a, a mindset mentor and transformative coach for people in this experience, but I never meant to do that, that wasn't the plan. <laughs> I just ended up going through my own fertility journey. So for me, it started with an investigation because I always had crazy periods like my cycles were really weird and so I went straight to my GP and I was like I'd like to have a baby now please and um, they were like oh uh, yeah let's send you off for a scan to see why you're why you've always had crazy cycles and then immediately they found that I had a fibroid um, which is just a basically a growth I was like what's a fibroid they said it's a growth in your uterus so I ended up having a an operation to remove that and then very long story short, I had 10 cycles of um, not IVF, which I'm always very clear about, but I had 10 cycles of treatment. So that was Clomid and then it was injectable um, ovulation induction, which is basically like half an IVF cycle, really. Um, so I went through all of that. That didn't work. And then they wanted me to carry on doing that. And I reached the limit. I was like, I can't do that anymore. And I think that that was that's something I'm quite passionate about kind of raising awareness of, of that not all fertility treatment is IVF. You know, we're here to talk about IVF, but not all of it is. So I went through all of that before I then did go to IVF. 
and went through my first cycle and was very fortunate to conceive on that first cycle of, of IVF and had, um, had my daughter and then had a frozen embryo transfer a couple of years later and had um, my little boy. So that's why I'm here. And I, but, uh, but really why I'm here is because I found that it was one of the most frustrating, isolating, confusing, overwhelming, difficult chapters of my life. And I just found that nobody really understood around me. My family and friends didn't understand. And I needed to figure out a way through it. And I kind of did. And that's why I now do what I do to try and help other people who find themselves in that position. I loved your path. We met years ago. In fact, you're the first person on Instagram I ever spoke to in this field, I honestly. messaged you, didn't I? You messaged me, you DM'd me um, after I'd done some stuff for Radio 4 and you said, I'd just really like to come and chat to you. And you'd never you'd never reached out to anyone before, had you? And mm. actually, Instagram has become the place, bizarrely, for this community in a lot of ways. How has it helped you? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, that's exactly what happened because I found Sophie and I was like, oh, this amazing person is like doing this cool stuff with the BBC. And at the time I was working in production myself and I was like, I was really nervous to message you because I was like, oh, she's so cool and she's so doing this amazing stuff. So about wrong fertility. she was. And, I, <laughs> and I'd be like, I've never messaged anybody before, which now makes me laugh because that's literally all I do all day yeah. is I message people <laughs> on Instagram. But I literally had never messaged anybody before. But I sent a message and I was like, I just want to come and talk to you. Yeah, and I came, we in, had a chat. I came and interviewed you, didn't I? Yeah, in the BBC and what I realized from that was that you were going to probably make this your career which you did let's introduce everyone else and then we're going to go into coping strategies so Amber let's talk to you next hello my name is Amber Itzo I was trying to conceive for about seven years all in all um, I went through three fresh cycles of IVF um, I kind of ended up in this space really um, I found that there wasn't really anybody talking about IVF while I was going through it, while we were trying. It took us about three and a half years to actually even get a diagnosis and be referred at all for any tests. Um, I was diagnosed with two blocked fallopian tubes, which I then had removed. So IVF was the only way that my husband and I could get pregnant. But where I lived in the UK, I live, uh, well, live in Cambridgeshire. And at the time, there was no access to IVF funding at all on the NHS. So I actually launched a, a campaign, um, which did result in the reinstatement of IVF in Cambridgeshire on the NHS. Um, I then went on to have an NHS cycle after my two, two private and I was very, very lucky to say that that cycle did work and I have recently um, had a baby. But during that process, I found that it was so isolating, so, so overwhelming. And there's so much, I think, dare I say, noise uh, kind of in that space and you, you don't know what the right thing to do. And I'm somebody where I didn't want my hand holding and I couldn't stand all this, you know, straight my hair and tell me that everything's gonna be okay and it'll all work out. I, I'm not about that. So I was very much for the people kind of in between that spoke really kind of candidly and openly about how, I'll say rough, I'll use nice words, um, how, how awful the experience is and just trying to be really candid about that. So in the process, I, I ran support groups, which is how I went on to meet Tia. Um, and I just try and be a really honest kind of Advocate. voice in the community yeah absolutely yeah. And, absolutely and, and yeah so our journey wasn't straightforward but 
But you, yeah, so. What I love is that you went on to become pregnant for the cause that you'd actually fought and won. Like, it's really heartwarming, actually, that mm, it worked you. for you after the NHS round. Are you still working in that sphere to try and change the yes, policy? Yes, very much so. Uh, very much so. I think I, I obviously had to take a bit of a step back. But yes, I actually have a meeting with my MP next week regarding it. So. Because let's make it clear to everyone, IVF is generally not free on the NHS. And it's a very much a postcode lottery. You've probably all realised that. Mm-hmm. So... Amber's working really hard. I mean, at one point, I think there were three trusts that just didn't give any. Yeah, it was Cambridgeshire, and then there were two within Essex. So Essex is or was split into numerous different CCGs. They're now not CCGs. They're either um, integrated care boards. So they're ICAs, ICBs, or IC yeah. something or other. Um, but now it is generally available in or, or everywhere in England. Um, the rules are different in Scotland and in Wales, but... They are, it is now generally available everywhere in England, but the eligibility does vary massively. The amount of cycles that you're entitled to varies massively. My thing always was that if I lived quite literally 10 minutes down the road, I would have been entitled to three cycles. Uh, if I'd lived with my mum, I'd have been entitled to two, but where I lived, I wasn't entitled to anything at all, um, which was a, a, it's a real shame, and I think it's so disappointing to know that that has such a big weighting and even when it is available on the NHS the criteria varies so much you know it's down to your BMI or your AMH or whether or not your partner has a child or whether or not you have a child from a previous relationship and it it just varies so much and to me that's not not right no absolutely absolutely and Tia, we've not met that long ago, but what a wonderful story, if you wouldn't mind telling us a bit about it. Um, so hi everyone, lovely to um, meet you all and thank you for coming. So yeah, my name's Tia. Um, after me and my husband got married, we started Try and Conceive um, very naively and obviously Try and Naturally. Unfortunately, um, 18 months into trying, um, nothing was happening, so um, obviously went to seek medical help. Um, I was diagnosed with premature <coughs> ovarian insufficiency, um, and I was told that I would have to start IVF immediately if I wanted a chance of conceiving of my own genetics. Um, so I got diagnosed in November, the end, and by the beginning of December, we had started our first round of IVF um, Again, very naively, didn't have a clue what IVF was. Um, So we did end up going through three rounds of my um, own eggs. Um, The first two rounds, we did manage to collect some eggs, but unfortunately nothing to transfer. And my third round, my ovaries are completely shut down. Um, So I was then given the choice to either go down the route of egg donor conception, adoption, or live the life just the two of us like children. Um, So me and my husband decided that um, egg donor conception was the route for us um, and now we have 15 month old twins um, through egg donor conception so then the donor conception treatment we did have abroad in Greece as well. Well that's amazing thank you so much. Tia you recently um, I hope you don't mind me sharing that you ended up having a full hysterectomy um, meaning that your chance of another child has been taken away when it comes to secondary infertility after after success how do you cope with that have you got Um, any strategies probably not no it's still quite early days and it wasn't our plan no um we did have um eight embryos remaining so it was our plan to go back for further treatment obviously we did look at other options but unfortunately they weren't like surrogacy things that happened unfortunately for us personally it wasn't um for us so um, it's still something I'm working through, but obviously I'm very blessed to have um, my twins. But um, yeah, I think it's quite hard 
when obviously you can't genetically have a child and then obviously you can't carry um, either. But yeah, I'm obviously very blessed to have my twins. But I know, but I, yesterday we were talking about secondary infertility and I just mention it because you feel guilty almost feeling mm. sad about it, right? Because yeah. you've got your children, you yeah. feel blessed and we get that, but your plan may not have been that. How do you cope in the darker times? Just in general, how did you cope during, during your IVF rounds? Probably just through connecting with people on Instagram. Mm. Yeah. And that was my saviour. Like, people in your personal life, friends, family, <laughs> they tried to understand, tried to support you, but I didn't have anyone in my friend's group or family that had been through it or going through anything similar. So I didn't have anyone to connect with. So Instagram, really, meeting with, obviously, like, um, lovely Amber and Alice, like, people like that on Instagram that have been through similar journeys that understand and relate to that was, that was my only way of coping. So really, it's sharing, talking and journaling. Yeah. That's what Instagram is, essentially, yeah. isn't it? And community, of course. Yeah. Amber, what about you? If I'm brutally honest, I think for the first kind of few, few years, I did really struggle with it. And I kind of convinced myself that it wasn't happening. And I think until we got our diagnosis, which, like I say, was three and a half, nearly four years in... I refused to accept that it, it wasn't working and it just wasn't the right time and it mm. was going to happen when this happened. Or So when I got my diagnosis, I, I really hit rock bottom and I wasn't in a good place. Um, and it took until my tubes were removed for me to kind of feel like I could move forward. Like a closure thing. Absolutely, because I, would, I was convincing myself constantly and I'm absolutely not saying that if your tubes are blocked, go and get them removed. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not my advice. But for me, it was very much, I stopped convincing myself every month that it might happen um, and I knew that it couldn't. So I knew that that was our only way forward. But then I think while we were going through IVF, we had two disastrous cycles that really didn't go well at all. Um, and I think... For me, we ha lockdown came at a good time for us because we then we were forced into having a break and we ended up having about 18 months off treatment. Um, so for me, it, we focused on building a life outside of trying to conceive that we really loved and that was really important to us. Um, and it, it was things like things that we'd been putting off because of trying to conceive. You know, I, I wasn't happy in my job and yet I was reluctant to change jobs because I was convinced that it would happen and then I'd be stuffed when it came to maternity leave and things. So I, was, I decided to stay in the job because I was putting everything else off. My husband had been trying to open a business for years and we just we kept putting it off because the money needed to go into treatment. And we, we literally put everything on hold. So we kind of decided, you know what? No, actually, we do need to start focusing on, on us. As much as you want it to happen, it, was, it might not. And our, we knew that our third cycle was, was going to be our final. And it was, okay, if this doesn't work, what, what do we do then? You know, we can't, I can't spend the rest of my life feeling sad and feeling upset and, dare I say, a bit bitter about it. I, I, I have to love the life that I'm living now. And there's more to life than, than this. And I had made it my entire life so for me I think my tip with that is focus on the things that do bring you joy focus on the things that you already have in your life and I know that that sounds quite cliche and sounds a bit wishy-washy but I think it is so important and I think mm. we forget about everything else and nourishing those other parts of your life that are still going to be there if it never works and so for us that was that was vital and you say this was your third round third and final round mm -hmm. but now you have joey has that opened another conversation about siblings absolutely so yeah. we, we do still we we 
are very lucky that it was the first cycle that we did end up with kind of more than one viable embryo. So you do have on ice, some on we ice. Do, we do have a few on ice. And I think, unfortunately, it is, again, the conversation of finances. It is the conversation of, okay, what do we do if that doesn't work? Are we then going to pump even more money into it? And, and so... Unfortunately, within weeks of having my son, it was, what next? You know, are we going to have to start? We drained our savings kind of going through IVF. So it was, okay, what, what now? now? And, yeah. you know, we'd, we'd spent around £20,000 and it was, okay, this is going to cost us at least another five. How many more times are we going to be willing to do this? Do we draw the line? What, you know, at the end of the day, as much as I am incredibly fortunate to have my son and that is never, <laughs> ever, ever lost on me. I am still infertile exactly. and I still have exactly. to go through this. So. And that's, yeah, there's a space for that as well. Thank you so much, Amber. Sure. And obviously, Alice, you've made this your mission. I've always said, and I'm sure everyone will agree here, infertility or fertility treatment is more mental than physical in loads of ways. I think the body can get used to and handle the pain, but the actual psychological stuff is difficult. How do you help people? Yes. <laughs> So all of that, just? all of that, all of it. I mean, what you just said then, Amber, was that, you know, oh, I know this sounds a bit wishy-washy or whatever, to like find the joy, find the gratitude, find the things that make my life worth living outside of IVF. And it's not at all, you know, there are st studies upon studies to show the, the science behind it, the neuroscience behind what happens when you do actually work on your whole self and your mm. whole emotional um, well-being. And so the, the way I help people and because the way I found my own navigation through it was to understand that I needed to take ownership of where I was kind of day to day and give myself what I need day to day and so I kind of went on this quite epic journey of self-discovery when I was going through my own fertility stuff but what I found through that journey um, as cringy as that word is is that I recognized that there was a whole part of my brain that I wasn't even using that gave me what I needed to cope with the fertility side of things and it is exactly around you know building a life that you do love um, so that you feel that kind of um, confidence that whatever happens even if you are going to go through a, a, a times which feel really really hard yeah. you're going to be able to access the support that you need internally and externally to get through it so my support that I now offer is to help people with their mindset and to help them manage everything that comes their way and to transform their thoughts because it's easy to go into it with this kind of closed mindset of like this has to happen or I will never be happy. And the problem is that if we put your happiness off to a destination, then you're not allowing yourself to build a life that you love or you're you, you will get stuck and you will feel like everything's on hold because you're consistently saying, I'm never going to be able to feel differently until I get to that point. Yeah. And it's hard. It's so hard because at the time you don't feel like you can get out of that mindset irrelevant. You don't want to leave the house to see a pregnant person, hear a pregnancy announcement, go to work and get the email that someone's coming or no email. They're just walking with their new babies. That's all very difficult stuff, isn't it? And so strategy is so important. Totally. And then I will say as well, though, like it's definitely not all on on you going through it you know society needs to learn and yeah, that's absolutely. why one of the things that I'm also passionate about is kind of teaching people what not to say and what like raising awareness say. my yeah. think what not to say campaign was all around like trying to understand like no it's not helpful to say just relax no it's not helpful to kind of offer unsolicited advice like stop it you know it's not useful and it's not all down to the people going through it to kind of work on their mindset and oh do yeah it. that's part of it definitely and society needs to Thank catch you. up. Has anyone got any questions for the panel just while we're here? 
Um, I would like to ask, I'm sorry that I forgot the name. Tia. Tia, Tia, yeah. Uh, about the egg donor, how does it work? Um, how is it? Uh, does it get implanted in yourself? How is it? On the last round when my ovary shut down, that was in the November, and I immediately started looking into it and went through the, well, my husband went through his stage of the treatment in the February. Um, so it was only a few months, but we went to Greece to have our treatment. We'd had a few rounds in England, we just needed a fresh start and all our rounds were privately funded. So obviously money was running very low. So initially we, I sent across um, my profile, I suppose. So a photo of me physically and filled in some paperwork with a description of myself um, to the clinic. Um, so they had that and so they can start the search to match someone to me. Um, we flew out to Greece so my husband could give his sample. So it was ready for the donor as and when. We'd, when we come home, by the time we come home, they have matched me with someone. Um, so I got sent a profile of my donor. Um, and it just, it's not a photo or anything like that. Um, so it's non-identifying information. So it's a description about her, um, her hobbies, education level, if she had any children, um, those type of things. And the clinic I was with did know a lot of their donors personally, like they've met them. So I could ask further details, um, anything that I wanted that was like non-identifying. And at the time I probably was a bit crazy, um, but I asked like the most stupidest things, like what was her teeth like? Um, just make it, like, what was her figure like? Like things that are most stupid, but at the time I felt like that's what I needed to know. Um, so yeah, I did get some more information and then my donor went through treatment. Um, her eggs were fertilized with my husband's husband's sperm. Um, so technically she went through the IVF process um, herself and they already had my husband's sperm um, frozen ready for when they had her eggs. Um, they froze the embryos and then about four weeks later we went back out for transfer. So yeah, it was implanted in me as a normal transfer like anyone else would with their own frozen embryos. Um, yeah, and then so that part of the treatment, I suppose, is like a frozen embryo transfer for anyone else. Tia, is it anonymous? Yes. So did you decide you wanted to go for an anonymous donor, and why did you decide that decision? Um, I didn't have the education I have now, um, so that's kind of something that I... If I can say regret, I won't change anything because I won't change anything about my children. Of course. But that side of things, um, I, what I didn't have the education around that I do now. Um, so yeah, it's anonymous. And uh, why Greece? Um, it was just um, because of my husband's ethnic background, we right. were wary of what countries we were going to go to for treatment. Um, just because we didn't want to face any discrimination or anything like that. So, um, and that was one of the countries that we felt the safest to go to. And I had lived in Greece and worked for a period of time. Um, so I felt I had that An kind of connection with, Greece, yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is anonymous. Um, I have contacted my clinic to ask because the law in Greece has changed now. Um, so they do have open ID in Greece now. Um, but unfortunately, as the contract with the donor was signed before, it wasn't. But obviously, the way things are nowadays, yeah. by the time my children are 18, I'm sure if we really, really want to, there may be a way that obviously and DNA testing. How would you feel if, if your children said, I want to go and find out who my donor is? Um, I feel very comfortable about it now. It, if you would have asked me whilst I was pregnant or whilst I was going for it, no, I wouldn't have been comfortable with it. Um, but now the relationship of, they're only 15 months old, but the relationship we already have, I'm very confident as their mum and how I feel. So 
Um, me and my husband have both said that we'll openly help them go to the ends of the earth to find the donor if they would like to, or any half-siblings that they have. Obviously, we know the donor has a child, so they do have a half-sibling through the donor, and we're not sure if there is any other half-siblings. Um, but yeah, we would help them search. Thank you, Tia, for being so honest. Amber, you're kind of in that interesting place now where you've kind of left the fertility world technically but you're also still got a hand in it where where are you falling what are you up to so i mean like i say at the end of the day we are looking at if if and when we go for a sibling so that still comes in comes into it i'm very much still infertile um however i think in that space like i say i have meetings upcoming with regards to the campaign and getting that on kind of on a wider scale and making that eligibility on the nhs a lot fairer um i also run uh, a podcast with my lovely co-host over there annabelle do tell um, us about that please <laughs> we, do. we have a podcast called am i overreacting ovary like ovary uh, um so we we have clever. that podcast we speak very openly about our own journeys and kind of um interview different people within the space, different professionals. Uh, Alice, Tia have both appeared on it, um, so which worked quite well, actually. Uh, so, yeah, so I, that's kind of released on a weekly basis every Friday. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm still kind of talking about motherhood after IVF, the complexities. There are, that come there with are. That. Talk about those, actually. Um, what complexities do you face in motherhood now? It's, I think it's... I mean, it's obviously, it's obviously a very, very sensitive, um, sensitive conversation, but I think there's an awful lot of comparison between um, motherhood and when you're trying. And I think you, the, there's a level of guilt that comes with that. I think especially as, you know, people like us that have been in the space, that have spoken so openly about our journeys, and we're very aware that there are people that, I think I can speak behalf on all three of us, really, that there are people that you've connected with over the years that aren't yet in the same space of you, uh, as you. And it's, it's horrible because you know how you feel. I know how I felt when everybody that I connected with seven years ago had children and I didn't. And you almost feel that little bit left behind. But I think when you then kind of cross that bridge, you almost become... Or I, I know that people kind of plague you with the enjoy every minute, these, these kind of conversations. You feel very guilty for the people yeah. who aren't yet in that space. Yeah. And you almost don't want to talk about the the bits of motherhood the problem, that are, di problems, are difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, Survivor's think, guilt. Yes, but I th I, my perception of it is, is that there's too much comparison and you can't compare the two. They're two very different um, two very different experiences, but obviously one leads to the other. And I think, I think that's the difficulty. And you, you try to be sensitive and you try to obviously understand how you felt at the time. Um, and then, like I say, we, it's the complexities of knowing that if and when you decide to have a sibling, it's not as easy as just thinking, okay, I'll come off the pill again, let's just start having sex again. Uh, again, like you're not, but you know, uh, you know, <laughs> bit too much info I there, mean, sorry. It takes <laughs> <a> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not that straightforward and it's a lot, it's a lot harder and, you know, the, the thought of having to go through all that again really upsets me and, you know, my, my husband and I have had a conversation that although we have the four embryos, we will only try once and if it doesn't work, that's it, we're done. That, Really? Absolutely. For, for him, and I think for me, that's something that, you know, there has to be that compromise. You have to understand where you're coming from both, you know, both sides. For me, that's a very difficult thing to, to deal with. So I'm going through that what whole process of dealing with What would you do with, with the that. embryos? And Tia, I hate to say it, but you also have this conversation. Like, that is a really tricky one that you've created embryos. What do you do with them? I don't know where I stand on that no. just now. I think it's a really difficult... Yeah, the idea is. of... I hate the word discarding, but the idea of just discarding yeah, them breaks absolutely. my heart and I'm not okay with that. No. Um, we've had conversations about donating them to research, but then again, I feel that to me, they're my children and yeah. it's a very weird a very weird space to be in. So I don't... you know, like one we'll navigate yes. with you on Instagram, that's no it, doubt. And that's why it's so helpful. 
that you That's share. That's it. Like, I think for, for me, a double embryo transfer has always been out of the question. And I think it's something that, you know, again, is a very personal decision. But for me, that was always our stance. And so knowing that I would, if it doesn't work, and even if it does work, have three other yeah, embryos absolutely. to get to get rid of. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's awful. a really it's tricky a nice, one. And it's yeah. maybe even counselling territory, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. 100%. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I've had to make my decision. Um, obviously, because of my hysterectomy, I can't carry again. And as it's donor egg, it's very complicated. I didn't really have a choice. It was either surrogacy. The surrogate would have had to have lived in Greece. And so I wouldn't have been involved in any of the pregnancy, which emotionally, not being able to carry or have a genetic connection, I don't think I could have personally done with them living in a different country. And the only other option I had, so it was either... Is we had them as potential babies or I had to, um, I use the word let them go because that's the only word I Discards can. Discards are hideous mentally, um, I mean, there's so many hideous words in this industry. Yeah. A lot of people say to me, why didn't you donate them? Um, but I didn't have that option to donate no. them. Any more questions? How did your husbands deal with the situation? That is a good question. Let's go, let's go down the line before we end. Simon, how did he deal with it? Well, to be honest, things came to a bit of a head for us, I think. Like, after we, because I, I felt very much like I was doing everything. You know, I was doing all of the lifestyle changes, going on my big self discovery journey that I mentioned, you know, learning about everything, blah, blah, blah. And this is really gender stereotype, so apologies for that. But he, didn't really, I didn't really see him doing anything. And um, <laughs> I was like, hello. He did nothing, Simon. Yeah, he did nothing. Simon did nothing. So, but it wasn't, I, you know, it wasn't actually really his fault because I don't think, especially at the time, which was a, what, a few years ago now, there wasn't really enough out there for men um, no. for a star. And there still yeah. isn't really. It's getting better, I think. Um, he didn't really have anyone that he was talking to about it, whereas I had a couple of friends. Instagram, again, didn't exist at the time. Um, so it wasn't exactly his fault but we really had to come we had a bit of a Honestly, an altercation at one no but point. i think men do do deal with things differently and i remember yeah. after our first round of ivf didn't work my husband johnny i mean we had the biggest bust up we've ever had yeah. because he wanted to mow the lawn and i really wanted him not to mow that lawn and it was ridiculous. I was like, do you not care? He's like, no, I care so much. I need to lo mow this lawn, you know? We're just different. Yeah, exactly species. that. And people, I think people, they, you, you do deal with it differently. And that's what I had to start to understand is that he was managing it differently. But the, the key for me was just communication all yeah. the way. Chat, chat, chat. Chat, yeah. chat, chat. And so we had this kind of moment of, you know, uh, the the big the, the, we don't argue really as a, as a, we've been together for about 15 years and at the time we hadn't really ever had a proper argument and I was like oh this is an argument okay and we really had to go there but it was good because it kind of got everything out on the table you guys are like we argue all the time um, <laughs> but I didn't really so I was a bit like oh this is this is new but I realised that it had to be communication and then once it kind of got out sort of on the table it was much better because then we both understood like what we needed and where we needed to go and then it had to be continually making sure that we were both talking to each other but also that he was getting what he needed and that he was kind of involved as involved with the whole thing as I was and that was really important for me as well and Amber I think um I mean I'm going to caveat this by saying I love my husband very much however during the process he drove me insane because he is as cool as a cucumber like it doesn't matter what just nothing phases him so I think as we were going through it he was absolutely the voice of reason the whole way through and was very much kind of 
you know, if it's just me and you for the rest of our lives, that's fine. And he he would kind of he was very much kind of my guide through that. Um, for the first kind of you know the first cycle, well, two cycles really. As far as we were aware, it was just me that was the problem. I had PCOS, and like I say, my tubes were no longer existent. Um, it was only as we went into our third cycle that we actually found out he had really severe DNA fragmentation, and so actually, our the condition our embryos were in related an awful lot to his, to his sperm. And I think then it shifted a little bit because it almost felt, especially on my side, I'd felt guilty for so long that we were going through this because of me that actually it kind of, it kind of balanced the playing cards a little bit. And as awful as it was, and you know, I, I wish that that wasn't the case for him, we began to kind of speak about it a little bit more openly. He, he was able to kind of understand it from my perspective a little bit more. Um, but now in hindsight, as much as at the time it was really frustrating that he was so calm throughout the process, I absolutely needed him to be that calming influence. Does he mind you being this public? No, no. I think he, everything I post and every conversation we've had has gone through him too. Really? I would, oh, that's I would never ever, I think, especially, especially when it comes to his diagnosis and anything, my diagnosis, he would let me talk about until the cows came home, that's fine. But for him... It's his journey too, yeah, and absolutely. I have to be very aware of that, and I am aware of that, and he is 100% my biggest supporter. Um, but there are certain details that I don't share because it's his, his life choice, too. Yeah. Lee, um, how does Lee feel about... Oh, I, I was going to say owning donor-conceived children. You don't own <laughs> them, but having them, yeah, that's the word. Um, to begin with, he took a lot longer to get his head around the concept of it than me. Um, which a lot of people find different because obviously technically he's not losing anything but obviously he was losing his but dream of having a genetic child with me yeah. so it took him a lot longer to get his head around it than me we had um, a lot of counselling together throughout our whole treatment he, he couldn't get his head around why do you need to be open with them like you're carrying them, you're their mum but we had listened to a podcast from a donor conceived adult and within one minute he was like okay yeah they're going to know from day one but I think like everyone said it's just talking make sure you're talking we did have counselling together and it really helped us from like a third party to say well stop you bickering I suppose there's someone there and can see it from both sides thank you so much for joining us for this episode of let's all talk fertility the podcast brought to you by the fertility show we hope you found this session useful thanks again to randox health and remember if you want some money off one of their female health tests head over to randox health now and enter the code everywoman at checkout to give you 10 percent off any test you need thanks for listening if you've enjoyed it please give us a good review and share with those who you think will benefit but for now thanks for being here and see you for the next one